0: Welcome to episode 11 of Nature's Pulse, where I review the week's environmental news. My name is John Lieber, you can reach me on Twitter or Instagram, which is at Jungle underscore Capital. This is for the week of November 23rd. We have a lot to cover, so let's get started. So we'll begin with a story out of the West African nation of Mauritania. and the story is focused on the National Park of dialing which has been going under some 30 years of environmental restoration. So before I go to my summary, I will just show some pictures of the area here. So you can see there's some development nearby, but the actual natural landscape is gorgeous. So this park consists of 16,000 hectares of land flanked by the Senegal River on one side and the Atlantic Ocean on the other. Between them lies an estuary where ecological and biological diversity is on display, from cracked muddy lands to sand dunes to marshes. But nothing is guaranteed protection forever. As the country pursues economic development, it faces many of the same issues as other African nations face. Military activity, Chinese port building, ethnic tensions, and oil natural resources exploitation. All these activities threaten the park. For example, one of the biggest commercial ports is being built just 44 miles from the park. So let's keep our eyes on Maritania and extend what we help we can to ensure environmental leadership. Alright, next, uh, this is really interesting. I thought I would pose a simple question to the Environmental Professionals Facebook group, just to uh, gauge the pulse on what people thought about uh, solutions in the sustainability movement and it really escalated into some pretty hot topics, button topics, so my question was what would be the single best thing that could happen to Earth's global ecosystem? And before we get into discussing the actual uh, controversy here and into the issues, I just want to read what the options were, the top options, how many people voted for them, and what they were. So the top option was the best single best thing that could happen to the Earth's global ecosystems is that humans reduce their population to a stable 1.5 to 2 billion, and 113 people voted for that. The next was humans adopt a perfectly efficient system to use and renew, re, renew resources. Zero waste of any kind. 91 vo- votes for there for that. Humans completely adopt regenerative agriculture. That was third. So with 62 votes. Fourth, humans go extinct, 28 votes. Five, kill corporate greed, with 11 votes. Next was, we realize that Earth is a being with an evolution of its own, 5 votes. Nothing because it's going to do what it does, whether it shakes humans off or not, 4 votes. Fusion energy, also 4 votes. Humans awaken to the true nature of reality non-duality two votes humans farm and live vertically to create a very small footprint two votes go vegan two votes humans offload their population to other planets two votes humans finally know how to not mismanage their resources two votes aliens come with an eco-ray one vote extinction of human greed or humans one vote humans stop burning fossil fuels one vote Resilience, one vote. Species become completely adapted across a range of diverse niches to human development, one vote. Everyone becomes vegetarian, one vote. And humans start colonies on Mars, one vote. Okay, so this issue of population is very fascinating to me. Uh, There's a couple things that we need to put on the table before we can get into the discussion, because there's a lot of miscommunication because people are applying their lens through certain pieces and they're not seeing how this all connects. So there's a few facts that we need to understand. Uh, The first is, so right now, we have 7.8 billion people on the planet, but an important nuance is that by the end of the century, around 2100, population is expected to start declining quite sharply. And the reason for this is urbanization. So if you look at the rates of urbanization, it's already happened in developed countries um, quite recently, but it's happened. And if you look at the rate of urbanizations across the developing world, it's 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 wild how uh, high these rates are. So people are fleeing to cities, mostly in the pursuit of uh, empl- employment opportun- opportunities. And when this happens, several things happen, but the main, uh, variable is that ch- having children moves away from being an asset to a liability. So if you think of when you're on a farm, and I grew up on a farm, the more children you have, the more uh, hands you have to help you work and to produce. So it's you're incentivized to have as many children as possible, basically. And even feeding them is subsidized through the work that you do. So it makes a lot of sense to have as many children as you have in order to uh, produce more and be more uh resourceful but once you move into a city you also all of a sudden these start to need, need to start paying for their their needs paying for education a roof over their head a bigger house all of these things turn even just one child into a liability so it it flips the incentive mechanism on its head and this is what we're seeing but there's a huge lag So in the developing world, urbanization is happening, but it hasn't happened near the rate that it's happened uh, in the developed world. And that's not the only indicator, of course, but when people move to cities, they tend to become more educated. They tend to have access to healthcare. The culture isn't to have as many children and they tend to be more affluent as well. So we have that chip on the table that population is going to decline in the future uh the other chip that we need to put on the table is that resources are not distributed even, even, evenly so many people will show you all the charts where 1% of the population is using something like the bottom 15 or 20% or something and some people have shared those charts here so the rich are using a, a obnoxious amount of resources and in turn producing a emissions and causing uh, the chokehold hold on our carrying capacity. So that's another reality. So we have the populations declining and the ratio of who is using resources is not evenly distributed in today's environment. The reality we need to look at in the final chip that I'll put on the table is that we do live on a planet with finite resources. So we need to think about what the consumption distribution is among people and we need to think about what the volume is so the total population in order to calculate what our actual carrying capacity is so to me seeing this as the top choice in this context basically saying hey the population is declining and this is a good thing to me that makes a lot of sense but there has been and I started getting a pulse about this, actually, early in March. This is the because I went to school for environmental management, and it was always straightforward that we don't want an exploding human population. We want to uh, reduce population wherever possible, or at least be aware of it and have the data around it. But in the March when in March when. Uh, Michael Moore's movie came out, the documentary, I think it's called uh, Planet of Humans, that lit off a certain sect of the academic community. And I'm not completely sure why, to be honest, because that was a whole um, fiasco in itself. And I guess I wasn't doing this show at that point, but I did do a post on it on why I was concerned about their reactions but it's the nature of the reactions that was concerning me because in that documentary, Michael Moore does bring up the issue of population and the nature of their reactions was not, listen, this is why this issue is wrong and this is why I disagree with your narrative. It was, he is an eco-fascist and if you believe in population reduction, then you are an eco-fascist. And to me, that was the first time I'd ever heard that word that was only this year and there's a lot of emotion around it. Uh, people calling each other racist, people calling each other, um, accusing each other of that's what the Nazis did and all kinds of things. And I've always found in my own personal growth as a professional exploring these topics is whenever I feel emotional and ever get to the point where I feel like I need to throw a personal insult, it's generally, related to my misunderstanding of the depth of the issue. So I always use that as an indicator now when someone is highly emotional and using personal insults or slurs against people or labeling up people as the other, rather than having depth and factual conversations around the issue, I use that as an indicator to think that there's something going on there. So that was the first time I'd really knew that some sect in academia was, I don't know what was wrong with them, but they had decided that anyone that brings up the issue of population was an eco-fascist and uh, and was potentially racist or whatever else they were calling people for just asking about the issue. So now that this got brought up, the same type of uh, comments were raised. So because population did win this poll, this led to many, many comments. Let's see how many are here, uh, 78. And I was going to go through and read some of them, but I really don't feel comfortable showing people's names. And I think it's wrong when it's this emotional of a conversation. And I think a lot of people are going to regret some of the things they said once they cool down. But let's just say there was many people who were said who left the group because they were so offended that people would vote for this and keep in mind i didn't actually vote for anything at this point but i did chime in at a couple points to get my to explore the idea of myself a little further and this uh, led to people saying that i was in favor of genocide and i'm a racist and all types of crazy stuff so there's the the disconnect that i see is that first of all the people that are pro Population reduction seem to not uh, understand the concept that population is going to decline. So we're really just trying to manage our population until the end of the century, which is a huge challenge. Uh, and that, and to me, that's a fairly understandable uh, position, and it just needs to be communicated. And maybe it's debatable. The other position that I have less empathy for is when you say that you that having a lower human population would be good for the planet is that that there's a sector and this is the same sector of it seems to always be a small sector of academia the same people that are always calling people racist and all kinds of unfortunate things that immediately jump to this assumption that you're advocating for genocide of the developing world which is just wild like to to accuse someone of that um that thought and it's, it's really wrong because just saying the, cons, the, the recognizing the concept that we need to understand population dynamics does not mean that you're pro-genocide. Um, and just because people in the past have used uh, the argument as a proxy to do something bad, for example, the Nazis brought up the population issue. But Nazis also were environmental conservationists. So we can't say just because some bad person adopts an idea that the idea automatically is bad and it backfires in a great ordeal as well too, because instead of communicating to people, when you call them an eco-fascist, when you call them a racist, when you call them whatever ist that you have in your pocket and you sound emotional, one girl was talking about how she was physic. she felt like I was physically threatening her by trying to... Uh, just explored the, the, this concept with her um, is just it backfires because like I mean I can try to get through the conversations but I think a lot of people become really bitter about this and um, it doesn't produce any sort of meaningful intellectual progress and that's what we're here for so I really worry about that um, sect of academia that seems to be Pushing a lot of different uh, concepts that are destructive to dialogue, and it's also anti-science because um, science involves facts. It involves uh, b- adopting best management practices, regardless if someone else has manipulated them to do something bad. You still need to manipulate. You still need to use them to do what. And recognize what they're actually showing because facts are facts, right? If that's what um, science through research is showing. So again, to me, it's so ironic that it is a very small sect, but that small sect is always in academia—the ones that are claiming to follow science, but always uh, will deviate from the actual actual issue to attack someone based on their race or their gender, and they attack them. Uh, using slurs and name calling, and they don't recognize the actual uh, recognized research behind the issues. So it's all very confusing to me. But it uh, and I think that it's attempt to censor people uh, and wield power over over them because it is an intimidating uh, an emotional process when you hear someone um, calling you uh that you're advocating for genocide or something like that and of course that's not the issue and if anyone did allude to that type of uh, policy i would be completely against it because obviously that's not right um i think that actually by advocating for what's right here is probably helping those people uh more so anyways i have not much else to say on it other than my final opinion is that if the population is reducing over time through natural pressures of urbanization to me that seems to be a good thing to other people that means that i'm pro-genocide which is absurd so um that's all i have to say on that but very interesting that this topic is so hot button and, and i'll just leave it at these two sides that seem very polarized one is um gone a little bit crazy but they they need to amend themselves so that they can uh really understand and come together around the issue so lots of work needs to be done on that that issue but it was good to start the discussion anyways and for the people who left the group over it i feel sorry for them all right so just shifting gears and we'll stop here quickly to talk about some shark unfortunate shark news so the uh, International Commission of Conservation in Atlantic Tunas was this week. And unfortunately, there was a motion to uh, protect or to put in place protections for in- the endangered mako shark. Those were uh, introduced by Canada, Senegal, and the UK. But unfortunately, the US and the UE blocked those proposed protections. So, Spain is responsible for more MACO landings than any other country in the world. And in April 2020, Canada become, became the only North Atlantic country to unilaterally ban shortfin MACO retention as scientists have advised. A very big missed opportunity. Hopefully, that'll change in the future. I also want to stop on a post that someone else shared, and it kind of talks about um, the tension that we we're facing before so he posted an image where it shows that the richest one percent are responsible for double the carbon emissions of the poorest 50 percent so of course that's a huge problem uh the the richest one percent are clearly uh over consuming in obnoxious ways and the inequality in uh in our world is is absolutely tragic and to me, that's actually where the real fight lies, as far as uh, political and social and environmental well-being. To be honest, is economic inequality and uh, corruption. Addressing corruption, but a lot of people have fallen for campaigns to pit ourselves at the bottom against each other, and I think that that's a huge hazard. Um, and this is how it's getting manipulated, though. So what his text is in this along with this issue is that some startling but not surprising findings from a recent Oxum report overpopulation is not the problem not when the richest 10 percent are responsible for carbon emissions and everyone else taken together so the nuance behind that is that's a very simple narrative you just look at the chart and you say look it's not the problem it's the rich people but there's a couple things that we need to take into account first of all we're trying to pull those 50 percent of the porous up so there really needs to be an acceptable living quality identified for example he just posted about carbon emissions but environmental resource consumption is way more than just about emissions and yes we want to probably meet in the middle but we can't just all join the porous 50 percent because uh, there's a lot of tragedy and heartache around that, too. It, um it also seems to ignore the idea that we should never think about population and that population should not be an issue that's considered. We should not think about the volume, but we need to keep in mind what it is. So uh, we should identify what is an acceptable living standard and what would the volume capacity be? Uh, I mean, just having data is uh, responsible and can probably help fend off long term uh, pain. So having data is responsible and can help us identify and manage our resources and our populations to avoid any real tragedies that comes from overpopulation. Um, And this idea that we just need to take the richest resources and uh, and distribute it to the poorest 50% and then everything is okay. I just am not sure that, and I I do agree with the concept that we need to go into the middle, uh, but I'm not sure it just works out that um, cookie cutter. So um, yeah, like, I mean, we just need data and I think that's where I stand on it. But me asking for data seems to be a controversial subject now, for, for some people, and when asking for data is controversial, it, uh, it's confusing, especially when it's coming from uh, the scientific community, but anyways. So for the environmental icon of the week, We will recognize George Washington Carver, who was an American agricultural scientist and an inventor who promoted alternative crops to cotton and methods to prevent soil depletion. He taught poor farmers that they can feed hogs, acorns instead of commercial feed, and enrich croplands with swamp muck instead of fertilizer. His idea of crop rotation proved to be most valuable. Through his work on soil chemistry, Carver learned that through years of growing cotton, it has depleted the nutrients from the soil, resulting in low low yields. But by growing nitrogen-fixing plants like peanuts, soybeans, and sweet potatoes, the soil could be restored, allowing yield to increase dramatically when the land was reverted to cotton use for a few years later. To further help farmers, he invented the Jessup Wagon, a kind of mobile horse-drawn classroom and laboratory used to demonstrate soil chemistry thank you for your contributions george okay so now we're going to look at some illegal timber harvesting and exporting out of the gambia so uh what's happening is i said uh so after discovering that shipments to china from the gambia contained rosewood the shipping company called when I can't pronounce it because it's in French, uh, but they banned all timber exports from the country. The shipping, the shipping company says it it is creating a global blacklist of countries that have a history of facilitating illegal wildlife products. Rosewood is the most trafficked wildlife product in the world. My question is, where's the penalty on China? I worry that economic punishments of the Gambia will only fuel the black market through other means. So the last thing we'll discuss this week is about ocean floor exploration. So despite our knowledge of the land we live on and the technology available to us, very little of the ocean floor has actually been mapped in detail. Only 20% of the ocean floor has so far been mapped in detail. The surface of Mars and Venus has been mapped in more detail than areas of the Earth's ocean floor. And it comes, uh, this piece which was posted in the weforum.org. And the visualization I think is by uh, the Map Kiwi it's called. But so if you type in the Map Kiwi, murky waters, unmapped areas of the ocean floors by Seafloor 2030 project, you'll see this visualization, which is very cool. It took me a little bit to understand it, but you can see the areas in light blue show where the ocean floor has been mapped and the dark blue is where the ocean floor has not been mapped. So you'll see areas uh, around the coastlines of more developed countries have been mapped but really not too far out. The biggest uh, progress seems to be made around Japan. It looks like they've done a lot of ocean floor mapping but the rest of it is uh, mostly through shipping routes and travel routes but the majority of it seems uh, is, is uh, unexplored. So it just uh, begs the question on what's down there. And I think that uh, it's quite clear that Earth has probably a few more frontiers for us to explore. Well, That's it for this week. Uh, I still don't have many updates for my school. There was someone in my class who was issued their student ID meaning it's likely coming very soon and then I can start the visa process and maybe even get there over to Scotland by the end of the year. So that's the plan now. It's just a huge waiting game, but uh still just working away until that point. And it's, it feels like it's taken forever. But it's all good. Um so thanks everyone for watching, tuning in. And again if you have any questions you can leave them in the comments and I'll answer them next week. Appreciate you all and we'll see you next week.